I have a guest today, actually two guests, hopefully. And uh, I uh, have uh, known this woman for a while now, and she is the hardest working person uh, that I know. And she has a uh, uh, a service dog named Baron that uh, is also my good friend and friends with my dogs. And uh, so I want to introduce both of them to you. Uh, Jenny Hill, Executive Director for the Wounded Blue. And a little later on, we're going to meet Baron. Jenny, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Hey, so um, so first and foremost, uh, like me, you used to be a cop. Um, talk about that. Um, I became an officer in 2005. I worked for a department in um, Maryland. And then in 09, I moved to Georgia, which are where, which is where I'm originally from, and um, became an officer for a department down there and um, worked until uh, 2011. So after uh, you left law enforcement, um, you got uh, involved with uh, an organization called the Wounded Blue. Talk about what the Wounded Blue does. Well, the Wounded Blue is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we assist injured and disabled officers nationwide. Um, the way I became involved in it was I was injured in the line of duty back in 2011, and I was forced out in 2013. Um, you know, we talked about the brotherhood, sisterhood for years. And so I thought for sure, other than being invincible and that I would never be injured, become injured, I thought for sure you know, once I did become injured, that my own agency would have my back. Um, but I found out very quickly that I was a number um, and that it was a business at the end of the day. And so um, that sort of started a spiral for me, feeling very abandoned and alone by my agency. So this, yep, go ahead. I just want to say, I want people to know this happens more often than you can imagine, right? Absolutely. Um, it happened back then, and it still happens to this day, every day with injured officers. And kudos to those departments that back their officers who are injured in the line of duty and take care of their officers, because it is few and far between. So you got involved uh, with the Wounded Blue after your injury, and again, after you found out that uh, ultimately um, we are just a number, we're a badge number, an employee number. Um, and, uh, and our agencies, um, run themselves like a business and, uh, and you went on a downward spiral that a lot of officers, uh, very often feel, but, um, you were able to claw your way out of it. Talk about that. Um, I was, I hit a very, uh, dark, uh, rabbit hole as we often call it, um, very depressed, um, I had gotten to the point of feeling like maybe I would um, be better if I weren't even here. Um, and I actually had a friend um, reach out who started to see some red flags and signs and said, are you okay? And typical answer is, sure, I'm fine. I, you know, some of us don't want to admit that we aren't when we aren't. Um, and for whatever reason that day, it crossed my mind to say I'm fine. Um, and part of my story is I'd actually started writing a suicide note. And thankfully, 
because he had reached out when he did. And I decided for whatever reason that day, which I now realize is my purpose for what I do now, um, I told him, no, I'm not okay. And so that started a three hour long conversation and actually ultimately got me into seeing a therapist. And because of him doing that, ultimately saving my life, um, fast forward to 2018 and the start of the Wounded Blue. Police officer suicide is a huge issue in this country, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. Um, it's actually more prevalent than um, officers who were killed in line of duty. Um, unfortunately, we don't talk about it. It's um, kind of touche. It's one of those things where we have to talk more about mental health, mental and emotional health. And um, back in 2011, 2012, and 2013, um, talking about getting help. This is Baron <laughs> talking about getting help and um, talking to therapists was something that we just didn't do. I was trained to in the suck it up buttercup mentality. And um, two days into my FTO phase back in um, 05, um, I had someone die in my arms and I remember tearing up and my FTO looking at me and saying, well, maybe you should think about being in this career if you can't handle that. And I was forced to go to EAP. And I said, from that point on, I was not going to say, I don't, I'm not okay. And so I didn't seek therapy until 2013. Um, and that is something that we, within the Wounded Blue especially, um, strive to, to do is to help end the stigma surrounding mental, mental and emotional health, especially, especially. But we also assist officers who have been physically injured um, as well as the invisible injuries. So as you talk about um, what you were feeling back then, um, Baron made his uh, debut here. And, and, and I've seen him do this many times. Um, although he looks like a police dog, he's not a police dog. He's a German shepherd, but he's a service dog. And, uh, and he is um, so attuned uh, to your emotions, but also the emotions of others and, and, and so you've had him now for about two years and uh, and talk about how he works, not just with you, but with all of us when you were around you. So Baron is a mobility and PTSD dog. And so he, like you said, is very in tune to um, emotions. He can he can pick up on anxiety and stress and Oftentimes when I do tell my story, it, it can bring me back to those moments. Um, I have healed um, through the process after all these years, but still talking about it, I'm so passionate about where we're at and being motivated about helping others not go down that same path that I was in. And he tends to pick up on it so quick. And like you saw, he came over just to make sure I'm okay. He does that with other officers as well. So we, we travel the country. It's one of um, kind of the perks of being a part of the Wounded Blue. And um, he's dually trained in therapy, which is um, 
not super common for service dogs, but he can go off command and on command. And it's amazing to watch because when he's off command and I let him off leash, um, he can work a room and he will go up to um, officers that we, you know, are in training with or at conferences. And he just loves on them because he just knows what we've been through, what the things we've seen, the things that we've endured. And oftentimes we don't talk about and as peer support, you know, we're not, I'm not out there saying, hey, talk to me, are you okay? But it's amazing how we'll, I will talk to Baron before I'll talk to somebody else. And it's amazing to see how many will come up and talk to him and not want to approach me or whomever I'm with. Now, uh, you, you know, Baron has a trainer, but you have been, you've had him since he was a puppy and you've been, uh, you know, intimately involved in his training how, you know, simply put, how do you train a dog to sense people's emotions? Now, again, German Shepherds are incredibly smart, but how do they train him to be so intuitive? It's actually ingrained in them. Um, it's PTSD dogs is you can't really train them in that. So it's um, something that they're born with. Um, sort of like our characters and our personalities we're born with. Um, that's how certain dogs are, and he is. Now we can hone into um, that part of um, his personality, so to speak. He's trained to do certain things like blocking. If there's a big crowd around, he will he will block me all day long. If if he suspects that it's a group that you know I'm a I'm unaware of like shopping. I hate shopping, which surprises people, but um, he will actually stand in front of me and a group of people, those kind of things he can be trained in. But on the um, sensing high anxiety and stress, it's essentially he's born with, and it's amazing to watch. And I got him at 10 weeks and um, to just see immediately how he picked up and detected was amazing to watch. And he, uh, he's a huge German Shepherd. We, you know, we'll get him up better on camera in a minute, but um, he, uh, you know, he looks really fierce, um, but he's, he's, although I know he'd step in if he had to, um, he's, he's not right. He's a big baby. He's a big baby. <laughs> he actually uh, loves little, little dogs, as you know, from your own. Um, in fact, I've, we've debated on getting him a little puppy of his own, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, just so um, everybody at home knows, Baron loves to uh, play with my three little rescues. And uh, and he's terribly patient with them because they're jerks. And uh, <laughs> um, And that's one of, and that's a great way. It's a great thing to watch a working dog like Baron let off steam and just be a dog. And he gets to do that, right? With other dogs, with your family. Sometimes he just gets to be a dog, doesn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. When he's off leash at home, he's essentially a pet. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So they definitely make sure he's a pet. <laughs> they love on him, play with him. Um, he's fiercely protective of them. So it's unique to see him in a non-service dog capacity, but for the most part, he is very much a service dog and attached to me at the hip. Now the Wounded Blue has been involved in um, different programs working with dogs, right? And there's a difference between a service dog and an emotional support dog. Can you talk about that? 
Yeah, so we actually have a program um, where we will connect officers with emotional support dogs through a vet that we um, have partnered with in Las Vegas. Um, right now it's on pause as we have um, kind of reorganized um, our foundation, but um, it will be up and running again in a couple of months, which is really exciting um, because we have given out several of the emotional support dogs and they've been amazing to still get pictures from the officers who have the puppies. Well, they're grown now, but um, emotional support dogs are um, a bit different from an ADA service dog. ADA service dogs obviously can go, um, they can fly with you. Baron and I fly all over the country and they can go anywhere, restaurants, um, hotels, you name it. Whereas an emotional support dog um, really is there to provide therapy and support, emotional support. And they're amazing to watch as well. Um, the training is a bit different. Um, Baron went through intense training his first year. Um, he's fully trained now. Um, and then he and I train every day together for about 30 to 45 minutes um, just to make sure his tasks are on point still. Um, whereas an emotional support dog, the training is, it depends on what the need is for, but sometimes there is no training. So it, there, is a, there is a pretty big difference between the two. And when we talk about uh, service dogs in dealing with post-traumatic stress, because that's one of the things uh, we'll talk about peer support in just a second. Um, but when we're talking about, you know, police officers with post-traumatic stress, how important can a service dog be to an emotionally wounded police officer? Well, I mean, I in the face right here to tell you that they are, they can be life-saving. Um, for about two years, I had a couple of people say, hey, you know, when you're, um, when it's time for you to get a service dog, just let us know. Um, I was diagnosed with PTSD in 2013, and it took me quite a while to accept that I had this diagnosis. Um, and so for me, getting a service dog meant solidification of that diagnosis. And then I got to a point and I said, who cares? It's my mental health and my emotional health that I need to take care of first and foremost. It's that self-care. And so I ultimately said, you know what, I think it's time um, for where I'm at. I think it's time. And so I got barren and I could not believe uh, how life-changing he became for me. Um, I had terrible night terrors, um, even though I'd gone through so many different types of therapy like EMDR, um, which also was life-changing for me. But he will, um, if I have a night terror, which are so rare now, but he will essentially wake me up. It's one of the things that he um, is ingrained to do. He just knows, he knows me so well. So he'll wake me up before I get to a full-blown night terror. Um, so it is, it's amazing, uh, these service dogs, what they can do, um, some of the tasks and training that they can, you know, learn. Um, and they're so smart, so smart. One of the other things that you're so involved in uh, is something that we are really talking a lot about now in law enforcement, and that is peer support. You know, sometimes it's difficult for a police officer or a retired police officer um, to go see a traditional therapist, whether it's, you know, we like to be in control. Um, very often there's not appropriate 
therapists available, you know, because we're kind of unique clients. Um, and now you're involved in uh, uh, nationwide uh, peer support with the Wounded Blue. Talk about what that is. So peer support is the core of the Wounded Blue. We also offer other resources, um, such as helping through workers' comp or EOC or legal services where needed. Um, however, peer support is where we are all passionate. We have a team currently of 34 officers, some current um, still on the road, um, but mostly retired and former. Um, and we all joined forces together because again, we wanted to make sure that others didn't feel abandoned and alone like we had through our processes. And um, with peer support, we want to be, we want to make sure that other officers who reach out know that they can relate. Um, so many of us come from different stories of, you know, being shot, run over, fallen downstairs, um, the emotional and mental health side of it as well. Those of us who suffer from PTSD on top of our injuries that took us out of our careers. And so being able to relate is so imperative. We also have a spousal peer support team because we believe you also um, have to help keep the family healthy and functional. It's not just about the officer, it's about the unit as a whole. And so being able to assist there is so imperative as well. Um, and so with peer support, just being able to assist however we can nationwide, our peer team is located all over the U.S. In fact, I'm located a little bit north of Atlanta in Georgia. Um, we're headquartered in Las Vegas, where our founder, Lieutenant Randy Sutton, is. Um, and then we have, like I said, officers all over from New York to Texas to Florida to California. And the and training so, yeah. is very intensive, isn't it? To become a, you you don't just say, oh, hey, I want to talk to people, right? It, talk about the peer support training because it's extraordinary. Yeah, our training is a full week of um, 40 plus hours of peer team training where our team comes together. We train for nine hours a day and then we spend time together just really bonding and forming that unit. But it's, we make sure that we know the ins and outs of um, group and individual crisis team training, suicide training, um, and then team training as a whole. Um, and, uh, and then there's a the whole application process as well. And our team jokes that, um, you know, we, we make sure that when you join the team, that you know what you're doing when you get out there and that, you know, we're just out there to help. It's just finding your purpose again. And that is so important to somebody who has been either injured in the line of duty, um, again, whether it's emotional injury uh, or physical injury. And we're seeing now in law enforcement, you know, for the last almost three years now, this extraordinary vilification of American law enforcement is truly creating more and more mental health issues for law enforcement, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. Um, in fact, I, everything that's happening, whether on the road or within your own department, I mean, that's part of it too, is it's not just, I, I love my community, but what I ended up dealing with was my own agency. And so that actually had a lot to do with my own spiral. Absolutely. So uh, we just have a couple of minutes left, but um, 
I want to talk about one of the things the Wounded Blue has coming up, and that is a, a training conference, you know, not just for retired police officers, but also for current police officers and their families. It's going to be in Las Vegas this year. Uh, I'll be teaching at it with my husband, Dave Smith, but talk about that for a minute. We are so excited. It's our third year in a uh, national annual survival summit um, that we're hosting. It is September 26th through 29th. We have some amazing speakers like Lieutenant David Grossman will be one of our key uh, new speakers. And then of course you and Dave will be speaking. Um, Giovanni Rocco, who's also a board member, he will be speaking. Our own clinical director, Trevor Wilkins will be speaking um, and a slew of other um, speakers um, are on tap. We're just super, super excited. You can go to the website, uh, www.thewindedblue.org to register. It is limited seating. So once they're gone, they're gone, but we're very, very excited about it. And uh, and you and Baron will be there, right? Uh, we, uh, we will definitely be there. Can we, uh, before we go, can we get him to say yep. hi? Baron. <laughs> And Baron has his own Instagram page for he does. Instagram. Talk about that. So it's Baron. <laughs> I'm going to show you his bag. There he it's is. It's Baron, the, the peer support service dog. Come here. Come here. Come say hi. He is. I can't tell you how giant this dog is. He is just the best. And he's such a good baby and such an important part of the Wounded Blue and, of course, of your life and family. Baron and Jenny Hill, thanks so much for spending time with us today. And if you would Thank like you. more information about us, visit the National Police Association at nationalpolice.org. Put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.